Well, good evening. As promised, we're going to move on in the Gita, and we're going to look at Chapter 7. Now, for, well, in the interest of time, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm just going to read some important uh, concepts, uh, because I would highly recommend that you get yourself a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. I uh, highly recommend Eknath Eshwaran's uh, version. There's many versions out there. Uh, but as I said, I'm going to continue on to chapter 7, which is Wisdom from Realization. Now, actually, what's interesting is uh, let's discuss um, line 2 before we continue on. Because line 2 says, I will give you both Jnana and Vijnana. When both of these are realized, there is nothing more you need to know. And if you look, uh, well, first I'll actually read uh, the opening chapter. That The term used for wisdom is jnana, jnana, which is J-N-A-N-A, for realization, vijnana. There is room for confusion in this terminology as jnana and vijnana are open to differing interpretations. Both words are from the root jna, to know, and uh, related to the Greek word gnosis. A prefix vi is added to the noun, usually intensifying its meaning. So vijnana could mean to know intensely or to a greater degree. Right? So more intense kind of jnana. Right? One who has merely heard of fire uh, he gives an example. Um, the difference between ajnana, jnana, and vijnana. One who has merely heard of fire has ajnana, ignorance. One who has seen fire has jnana. And one who has actually built a fire and cooked on it has vijnana. So that's the important concept. It's not just simply uh, having the ability to understand. It's having the ability to achieve the desired outcome. And then the third idea is uh, sustaining it and integrating it. Another quote here in the introduction then is here, the Gita is referring to a concept that will later become the basis of the Sankhya school. Sankhya recognized two fundamental principles underlying all things. Prakti, the principle of mind and matter, and Parusha, the principle of pure spirit. In Sankhya, the goal of self-realization is seen as the final freeing of the spirit, Parusha, from its flirtation with mind and matter, Prakti. Prakriti, Prakti. You get it, you get it. So it goes on and it just mentions the mythology of Vishnu. Brahma is born in the lotus that grows from Vishnu's navel. I just find that interesting that uh, they have kind of a shared um, backstory as well. Uh, and we'll of course go on and, and there's a few other concepts. But I wanted to mention the Jnana Vijnana because if you look at Jnana uh, and Jnana, almost identical terms, and they mean very similar. Uh, and sometimes jhana is even translated as meditation. 
rather than wisdom. But when you look what the wisdom uh, is, you understand that it's awareness. So therefore, it makes sense that uh, jnana, wisdom, and awareness could be the exact same thing. But as I said, chapter 7 of the Bhagavad Gita, wisdom from realization, opens with Krishna saying to Arjuna, with your mind attend on me, Arjuna. Discipline yourself with the practice of yoga. Depend on me completely. Listen, and I will dispel all your doubts. You will come to know me fully and be united with me. I will give you both jnana and vijnana. When both these are realized, there is nothing more you need to know. One person in many thousands may seek perfection. Yet of these, only a few reach the goal and come to realize me. Earth, wind, fire, air, akasha, mind, intellect, and ego. These are the eight divisions of my prakriti. But beyond this, I have another. And he goes on and talks about right, um, Brahman, nature. But before we go on, we'll talk about this, right? One person in a thousand may seek perfection. Perfection is not dissimilar to the paramita, which is another Sanskrit word, which means perfections. And that's commonly uh, uh, a term used in connection with um, either the ten paramitas, the ten perfections, or prana paramita, which, um, again, prana can mean breath, can also mean energy, but in this case, also means wisdom. So we have jhana, jnana, dhyana. I mean, there are a number of terms that mean very similar, if not identical. So we're going to move on to line 10 of chapter 7. And he says, My eternal seed, Arjuna, is to be found in every creature. I am the power of discrimination in those who are intelligent and the glory of the noble. In those who are strong, I am strength free from passion and self-attachment. I am desire itself if that desire is in harmony with the purpose of life. Right? I love that. Once again, talking about how it's a balance. It's not an elimination of the self. It's, a, it's finding the true middle way. And it goes on. But they cross over this maya who take refuge in me. Others are deluded by Maya, performing evil deeds. They have no devotion to me. Having lost all discrimination, they follow the way of their lower nature. Right? That's interesting. Once again, here we're talking about um, Maya. Maya is not dissimilar from the idea of both the Skandas and... Um, Samsara itself. Okay, so I'll read from the, the introduction. Maya was the magical capacity to create form and illusion, a god's divine power to put on a disguise or to fling forth world after world of life. Maya is also the outward look of things, the passing show that conceals immortal being. Maya can be both delightful and dangerous, alluring, and yet treacherous. 
right? So I'll go on. He says that good people come to worship me for different reasons. Some come to the spiritual life because of suffering. Some in order to understand life. Some come through a desire to achieve life's purpose. And some come who are men and women of wisdom. And from there he continues on, a little further on, chapter 7, line 19. After many births, the wise seek refuge in me, seeing me everywhere and in everything. Such great souls are very rare. There are others whose discrimination is misled by many desires. Following their own nature, they worship lower gods, practicing various rites. And then line 24. Through lack of understanding, people believe that I, the unmanifest, have entered into some form. They fail to realize my true nature, which transcends birth and death. Few see through the veil of Maya. The world, deluded, does not know that I am without birth and changeless. I know everything about the past, the present, and the future. Arjuna, but there is no one who knows me completely. It goes on, chapter 7, line 27. Delusion arises from the duality of attraction and aversion. Every creature is deluded by these from birth. But those who have freed themselves from all wrongdoing are firmly established in worship of me. Their actions are pure, and they are free from the delusion caused by the pairs of opposites. Line 29. Those who take refuge in me, striving for liberation from old age and death, come to know Brahman, the self and the nature of all action. Those who see me ruling the cosmos, who see me in the, Abid, uh, the Adibhuta, the Adidaiva, and the Adiyajna, are the conscious of me even at the time of death. Okay, so this is interesting because if you go and you look up at Ad, Adibuddha, so that's uh, the physical, the ephemeral world, the uh, Adidaiva, that's what you should uh, be striving towards, this ultimate goal as they speak. And then, of course, the Adiyajna, which is the ultimate, uh, right when he's talking about Brahman, to become one with Brahman. Uh, and then there's even another, when we did our research, there's the Adyatma, which is the self or the Atman, right? So all of these uh, different conditions, not to get deluded by and stuck in, like Maya, like, uh, you know, any of the Skandhas or um, the Yamas or the Rajas, um, you know, that's why we end up using a lot of these terms and continue to use them. Not to be esoteric, right? Not to be difficult for an outsider to, to, um, to understand. But because it is uh, almost a requirement when we're looking at uh, terms and concepts that have multi, 
meanings, multiple meanings, and are also multifaceted in, in, in the concepts themselves, right? Because, I mean, we, we talk, say, for example, shunyata, emptiness or voidness, depending on how you want to talk about it, right? But really, arguably, I like to say oneness, right? Because if you look that no person, no thing, no object, emotion, feeling, has um, independent causation or independent um, self doesn't exist of its own, you, you begin to see that we're made up of, yes, these dif- disparate parts, but those disparate parts uh, make up us as it, they do every other being and then every other thing in the universe, right? So when we talk about this concept of shunyata, it's complicated, but not to be difficult to understand, but to be able to get across this complex. And I mean, as I'm going to go on and read, complex and... um, and absolutely um, necessary to understand both the nature of our suffering and the nature of our liberation, to understand the self and how to manage um, ourselves, is to understand uh, how we relate to the universe and most importantly, how we tend uh, to interact with a manifestation of something created within our own minds that we uh, tend to label as reality that is nothing more than the illusory states that we continue uh, to live in. But yeah, so that's where I'm going to leave it because chapter 7 has got some uh, important concepts. Uh, But the real concept is the idea that we're looking at wisdom. Wisdom is an understanding. It's an understanding that we have innately within us, this ability for liberation, that ability for liberation is to embrace and to reside in that mindfulness, in that awareness, that pure awareness that we were discussing. And the number one tool for that is your mind. And of course, real hypocrisy is that that mind is also the, the greatest barrier to that uh, freedom, to that liberation. So on that, we'll leave.